This is the Baywatch Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are joined again by Reed Dent, staff member with Campus Christian Fellowship at Truman State University in Missouri. Reed, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. And I think I might need to redo the intro a little bit, like... This is the Bama podcast after dark or something. My voice is like all messed up right now. <laughs> I've got this crazy sore throat, which why would anyone have a sore throat in July? I do not understand, but here I am. So I don't know if I'm really going to talk that much this episode. Sounds good. I think Reed and I have got your back, Brent Billings. If there's anybody that knows how to fill, you know, the space. With words, it's Reed and I, that's for sure. <laughs> that's, that's true. I do, I'm going to reserve the right to uh, pipe in, but but I, I think that we're going to be fine. As long as you're piping in just to tell me to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you where we're headed uh, to all of our listeners. What, one of the things we're doing, and you'll hear this over the next few episodes, why do we have... Why do we have Reed back? Like, why in the world would we do that to ourselves? Well, um, we are expanding the Bema teaching team. And that's a thing we've kind of been working on for quite a while, trying to figure out who and how and just kind of the details over kind of the beginning of this year here. Um, but I, I think it's just healthy. Um, it's, it's more practical. It's just better on so many levels. Uh, and maybe we're maybe we're like a hundred episodes too late on this, but we're going to we're going to make this to where it's not just Brent and Marty and just what Marty thinks about everything. Like that's just a healthier way to do this would be able to get more voices that are present. It would be great if Marty wasn't on every episode. It'd be great if there were other people and thinkers and contributors. And so we are going to expand uh, the teaching team a little bit, um, just so that you have a handful of people that you might hear. Uh, that might be joining Brent to host. So, so this episode, Reed's not a guest. Uh, Reed becomes a new host with uh, with Brent and I for the Bayma podcast. So, welcome to this new role, Reed Dent. Wow, I just this is a dream come true. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Watch it. I never, I never thought. I, no, I mean it. I it really is an honor. I when we first started talking all those years ago. Uh, when I first discovered that the Bema podcast was a thing and an awesome thing, I mean, I never thought that I would be considered a a host on the show with with the likes of you. So thanks for thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. It really is an honor. I mean that. Yeah. Well, it, Reed's one of my. I said this last time. Reed's one of my. He's one of my best friends. He's also one of my just favorite thinkers and communicators. So uh, it was an easy uh an easy name for me to think up when i thought about you know this idea uh we got two other people we're going to introduce you to over the next two episodes um one of them is l and then the other one is josh and we're going to introduce you to reed l and josh in these three episodes and for each of these kind of introduction episodes i hope to give you a sense of what i see in them what i appreciate about them and just give you a little a little taste now we've already gotten a little taste of reed dent but uh why not why not another um one of the things taste. I that was a that was a long episode that we recorded. It was, and that, <laughs> that too, probably too much of a taste. <laughs> yeah, that's probably accurate, but that's an accurate representation of what people can probably expect from you, right? Mm, as I, I hope that's a compliment. <laughs> they can expect me to be long winded, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's uh, one of the things. So, so each one of these voices are, is going to have something unique that they bring to the table and bring to the team. And I think the thing, and Reed, you can help me choose maybe better words here. The thing I appreciate about Reed. Um, is he is a, I don't know if I would say philosophical voice, like he brings a, 
I, I loved his ability to communicate, um, especially written communication, his ability to, uh, uh, yeah, just as a, as a communicator. I appreciate that. But his mind works. Would you say you're philosophical, Reed? I feel like, I feel like that's the word I want to use to describe who you are. Um, maybe in the way that people might popularly understand philosophical sure. i mean sure. at the university here with all the philosophy majors i i i don't find that philosophy is so much my jam i don't know i mean i just try to i do try to be thoughtful and think deeply about things and i often am looking for other angles other ways to look at something and other ways to say something yes that's a great way to say that yeah absolutely that's a great new way to say that. Way, way to find another way to say that. <laughs> oh man, so meta. Oh, uh, uh, but that's it is, and, and I would not just philosophy, but theology. I just appreciate um, uh, Reed's ability, and I don't think I would call you like you're not so much into the technical, like the technicalities of the Hebrew language. The I think we'll have some other team players that will, uh, some teammates here on the teaching team that will will bring that. But that's not really. Would you say that's you? I don't think that's really you. Would you say that? No, that's not really me. No, I mean, I, I appreciate the, I can appreciate the technicalities, but, um, you know, when I'm, I've been reading actually some of the more technical stuff just lately for a sermon series we're preparing for, for the fall. And like, I'll, I, I, I can enjoy it, but it's not where I feel like most at home, you know, like I'm not going to do that in my free time for fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know how to describe it, Marty. I guess I'm a, I'm now at a loss for words. <laughs> well, well, that's not who Reed is, and so that's what we appreciate. I just love him because he's always able to talk about an, a concept, whether it's abstract or concrete, and put words on it that I'm like, oh, yes, absolutely, or phrase it in a way that provokes uh, more thought or just – and that's what I've always appreciated about Reed. So that's, that's one of the reasons that – that's one of the things I hope he'll bring to the conversation, bring to the team. I mean, anybody that heard – Reed was our opening episode for session six. Anybody that heard us talk about what is truth? I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, if there's a philosophical, theological, conceptual, abstract conversation, what is truth? That, that pretty much uh, describes. And today's going to be no different. Well, and is, uh, one other thought, if I can butt in for just half a second, is uh, I think maybe what, I'm, what I do or what I want to do, what I feel really passionate about doing is not necessarily drawing out new information or telling people something that they never knew before. It's more like I want to articulate something that maybe people have known but haven't had a name for, you know? So so they say like, oh man, I've always felt that or thought that, but I've just never known how to say it. Um, but it's something that they're already familiar with. I mean, as a pastor and as a preacher, that's Often what I'm trying to do is just articulate more than I'm trying to, you know, educate or inform. Although I think those are important things, but yeah, it's the articulation that I get excited about. Deep topics that we don't necessarily talk about often enough. And so we don't always have language for. Mm, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I love that. That's a great, absolutely great way to word that. Yeah. Cause I hope that last episode, yeah. It's, I mean, that's a deeply philosophical question, but I think if we listen to it, like it, it doesn't have a, like, you know, dry sort of overly technical philosophical sound to the conversation no way it wasn't it wasn't like overly heady it was absolutely ex- right we took something that would could have been overly heady and tried to make mm. it really practical and mm-hmm. accessible mm-hmm. 
So let's do that again today. Today we're going to talk about deconstruction. Now, I want to give a few precursors about this before we even get into it. Because right now deconstruction is like one of those, you know, social media Twitter buzzwords. Like everybody's like deconstruction is a sexy thing to be talking about. And I I, I like some of the things that we have in our notes today because I think we'll address some of those things about what it is and what it isn't. Maybe some of the things that I have a problem with. But but like when when I say deconstruction, like this goes way back for me personally. This goes way back to like early 2000s. This is not like that. We're not trying to jump on the recent social media trend at all by by choosing to talk about this like this goes all the way back to early 2000s for me looking at post-modernity like examining things like the the emerging church and those thinkers and the things that they were contributing to just the theological conversation like for years like all the way at the very beginning when people ask what is bema i would say well bema is a deconstruction of all of our normal readings of the bible most of them probably even bad readings of the Bible, and a reconstruction of the Bible in in a more contextual hermeneutic. That's how I've always, that's like the one-liner of what is Bema? It's a deconstruction of our typical evangelical readings of the Bible and an attempt to reconstruct it around a, a more rabbinical, a more, a more contextual hermeneutic. So, before we even that's get a, into that's it, a I don't, pretty good one-liner, Marty. Yeah, huh, well, I can I, I can do I can hold You've my own every too. now and then with yeah. words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably because of all the time I hang out with you, of course. Um, but yeah, and, and I know that there are some people out there because of this like big deconstruction war that's taking place right now. Um, like I know there are some people like Bema's not deconstruction. Like how in the world could they be calling it deconstruction? And and I just want to say like yeah, it is, and it may not be like all the things that we're sensing in the social media world about deconstruction. And I hope that we've done it in a very generous, very gracious, very compassionate, really not heavy handed, but essentially giving people the tools to deconstruct and, and hopefully reconstruct on some level kind of at their own pace and in the places that they find the deconstruction and the reconstruction. And I know that some people are just gonna be like, no, that's not what it is. And, and I know we have a lot of listeners that just kind of like use the podcast as kind of a supplement like it's just all the good Jewish stuff that kind of goes along with everything else. Um, it just strikes me sometimes how uh, I, I think I'm still reeling. A few weeks ago, uh, Brent, we and I, you and I closed the the chosen commentary uh, episode eight. I made a comment in there about how I, I typically come from a more progressive, more liberal mindset. And man, did I get some emails about that? Um, people really upset that I would use those terms and those. Labels and part of me is like, golly, two hundred and twenty episodes in, and this is news for you. <laughs> and the other part of me is like, oh, but but actually, that's what we've always attempted to do. Um, I never want to hold my perspectives or my leanings or those kind of things with a heavy hand. We we want this conversation to be super accessible for all kinds of people. People that want deconstruction, people that don't, people that want reconstruction, people. We we want this conversation to be accessible for conservatives and progressives and liberals. And uh, like that's the whole point is to make a conversation about the Bible more accessible for more people to ask better questions. And so I, I just I just wanted to preface that. I know deconstruction's a buzzword. We're not trying to pick fights. Um like I know that people are still like a couple hundred episodes in, like not smelling what I'm cooking, not picking up what I'm putting down. Like I get that. Um, there's there's plenty of room for that, but when you hear this, just hold it graciously. Hold it. Um, don't let it become like an inflammatory. Uh, did I say that okay? What do you think, Reed? I think that was great. 
Yeah. I, I know you're not even on social media. So Reed, Reed doesn't even know that there's like a big Twitter war right now about the deconstruction. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I'm aware of deconstruction as a, as a phenomenon as well, cause I'm a campus minister as we talked sure. about before. And you know, my deconstruction process started, I guess when I got to college, um, Basically, I just started learning new things that I didn't know before because I interacted with people who didn't think the same way that I did about Christianity. And, you know, I, you can call it deconstructing or you can call it just growing and learning. I mean, yes, a lot of our, you know, our journeys involve unlearning, but anytime we're unlearning, we're learning something else. And anytime we're learning something, we're probably unlearning something else. Uh, and that's just part of what it means to be a, a person. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a super negative thing. Like de- deconstruction just, it sounds, it, it to me, I, I think some people who get uncomfortable with the idea of deconstruction hear it and what they hear is destruction. And sure, I don't think deconstruction has to be a destructive thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a a negative thing. And well, I mean, part of, you know, so as far as words and articulation and all that goes, like one of the questions that I wonder is what are the problems that are inherent to, cause we're, we're speaking metaphorically when we say deconstruct, uh, and we're thinking of faith as a constructed thing. We think of it as a structure. And one of my questions that I think is worth exploring is what are the problems that are inherent to conceiving of faith as a construct as a constructed thing in the first place. Um, and you know, when we're talking about whatever it is that's happening, when people are quote unquote deconstructing, if we put in other metaphors, uh, for, for faith rather than like building metaphors, uh, rather than as a building, you know, does that change the tenor of it for us? Does that make, you know, does that help kind of bring us to a common place where, uh, people recognize that, you know, the, not just the word deconstruction, but the substance of what's going on is actually okay and can be healthy. So give me a couple examples of like, I, I love this concept. Let's take it out of a building deconstruction. Like you're taking a building apart, you're taking a thing apart Yeah. and give me, give me a new metaphor or two that would help me grab conceptually deconstruction. Well, this is a metaphor that we use a lot um, for faith that we talk about growing faith we talk about cultivating, you know, we have an agricultural metaphor for it. So your faith as a as a plant, basically, as an organic thing that is growing up from the soil. And so, you know, you wouldn't say I'm deconstructing this plant. Um, but a word that came to my mind when I was thinking about it is pruning, um, you know, and Jesus talks about pruning. Um, a lot of people are familiar with that. And there's this idea of some things have to be cut away. Uh, in order for other things that are actually where the fruit is going, you know, like where the life is happening uh, to to allow that to thrive more. And so, you know, when we if we grow up with ideas that are false or stilted, which just by the way, we all do. Um, I was thinking about. So back to just the construction metaphor for a second. I'm a I'm a craftsman. Of, I guess I'm an amateur craftsman. I like to build things. Oh, you're more than an amateur. You you've built some beautiful things, Reed. Down. Well, that's very nice. Um, but you went on my kayak, Marty. We took a little kayak ride. I, but... I need a picture of this. Brent needs to put a picture of your handcrafted kayak oh. uh, in the show notes. So I well yeah, thank you. I I 
so as a builder, um, it occurs to me that building anything right the first time is like very hard. Um, building just anything often involves a lot of testing, a lot of modeling, a lot of reworking, uh, and sometimes even undoing. Um, so just building, yeah, building anything right the first time is, is very hard unless you have a lot of experience. And, you know, for us who are, I don't think we're building our own faith as we grow, but you know, we have parents and whoever, but, but like, they're not, you know, everybody's kind of in this together as we go. There's, I don't know who is like the expert on making sure that everything gets done right the first time in terms of growing a life of faith. Like we all have things that we got to learn and unlearn. But anyway, it, like, why should we expect faith to be any different, right? If like, uh, why should we expect that, okay, as a parent of a child, I am going to make sure that when they leave home at 18, they have no more questions to ask and they have nothing left to correct. And they're just set for life from the point that they're 18 going forward. You know what I mean? Like that's, that doesn't seem realistic to me. Um, so anyway, the pruning thing, uh, if we think about that, um, I think it takes on a more positive spin. Like when, when God through whatever means cuts away, uh, those things that are just dead or dying or not flourishing. Um, and I think a lot of times when we think of Jesus and pruning, we often just, I, I think my knee jerk reaction is to hear that as like, Jesus is going to correct you know, my character flaws, like me as a person, he's going to prune away my impatience or prune away my deception or prune away whatever. But it, I, I think he could also be trimming away our thoughts on the Bible. Um, he could be trimming away our thoughts on God too, right? Like that, that's an okay thing to prune. Um, I don't know. Do you, has anybody got my back on that one? Are you are you with me? Uh, yeah, I would I would hope that he's trimming away some of the dogma. Uh, I would right. hope he's trimming. Uh, man, I think even some of the painful things. And this is like I think I'm nervous. I think we'd all be nervous to say this. I'm about to like sometimes he even trims away like community, mm. um, like a church experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, these are the really painful parts of the pruning. Like we're okay with like some of the things that you mentioned and then, but some of these other painful things, what is that? Well, and I love the metaphor here, Reed, because it's not just about the taking away the, the, it's also like, I'm not, I can't get anything to grow. So I'm horrible with plant metaphors. Like I kill anything that's trying to grow. (laughs) Me too, by the way. But but if I like, if I understand anything correctly, like I gotta, I can't just like stick something, like I gotta disrupt the soil. I may need to add some things to the soil. I mean, like, but I, I've got to like. I, I like break up the ground. I got to like overturn it. I've got it. So it's not just the pruning and the taking away. It's also the disruption. It's the cultivation of the thing that it grows in. It's like what I love about the plant metaphor. It's, it's completely dynamic. What part of the process is just purely static? It, I don't know if there's any part of a, of a plant cycle of growth that is static. It's all dynamic. Like there has to be this constant engagement because it's always, always growing and changing. Uh, so I, I like that metaphor. That's, that's very helpful. And it, more attractive than, say, just deconstructing. I'm tearing down this thing that I've... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, another metaphor I thought of was this idea of faith as a as a journey. You know, we're going somewhere. Um, and Ooh, I like this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so when we're on our journey, we're being guided. Um, we're being given maps um, by people. 
Uh, and instead of thinking of it as deconstructing, we could think of it as like a process of, you know, maybe just redrawing maps, which happens. Um, I mean, sometimes it, it's, that's kind of what has to happen, right? Like if, if I didn't know that a certain landmark existed or I only had one perspective from a certain elevation, like if, if you, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, uh, you can be 50 yards away from the Grand Canyon and not know that it exists. Like it's just flat land leading up. And so if you've never had the bird's eye and you didn't know it was there, you could literally walk by and miss it. Uh, and then you take a beeline, turn towards it and walk. And suddenly here's this whole new thing that's opened up. And now I've got to rethink what, how I thought the land moved. Right. And, and that's, that's what happens when you discover new things. And that's, that's a good thing. That's what ought to happen. And if your map's going to remain reliable, like you've got to account for those new things, it doesn't do any good just to sit back and say, no, but we know that the world, like we know that the land is just flat and we know that there's no such thing as a Canyon because that would make traversing from one side to the other a lot harder than if it was just flat. So let's just keep saying it's flat like that. That won't do. Um, it'll probably just get you killed if you walk up to the canyon and pretend it's not there. Yeah, I, I think about this when I think about the uh, trips we take over to Israel and Turkey. Like that's a constantly – like that's a dynamically changing experience. I've never been on a trip that went exactly as it was lined out on the itinerary. Like here's the plan and yet be it uh, you know, uh, military conflicts, be it uh, just uh, this site took longer or we got done sooner or that hotel had to make changes – or having to take this like ev- every day. I don't even know if there's too many days that go unaddressed where you just end up kind of like reshifting. And, and when you get to the trip, nobody, you know, I never feel like, well, that wasn't what the trip was supposed to be. Um, mm. oh, that's not what I planned. We had to make so many changes. No, that's, that is what the experience is. Mm-hmm. And that was the trip. And it wasn't any less than what we had put on, put on an itinerary. So I, I like that metaphor as well. Yeah. So um, I want to go back to, for a second, what you were saying in the introduction about this goal for people to kind of be able to come together to the table, like instead of just Twitter warring over deconstruction and whether you can or can't or should or shouldn't. Um, And and so as a pastor, uh, like in dealing with a lot of real students who are going through this process that, you know, is sometimes exciting and sometimes painful and uh, can be experienced in a number of ways. Uh, a, a pastoral concern of mine is to dig a little bit deeper. And and I, this is what I would encourage listeners to do. Uh, if you are one who has a certain knee jerk reaction, either one way or the other to the idea of deconstruction. Um, and that is to maybe ask the question um, and maybe to engage your empathy and imagination for whoever's on the other end of the conversation and ask, what is catalyzing this deconstruction uh in for this person what's what's catalyzing that process um where it, it may not be that you know like it's i think we think well it starts with just somebody read something that was false about the bible like they read a bad interpretation and now they're believing it and whatever you know those who would be critical of deconstruction or they think that they're just like rebelling against god right or uh, that this is some kind of sign of weakness of like their faith, like they don't believe God enough. And so now they're deconstructing in order to, you know, make up for their weakness. Like we can put all kinds of, uh, negative motivations, like we attach those to people. Um, but I think 
as Christian people who I hope are down for empathy, we could ask uh, maybe other questions about why somebody might be going through this process of questioning a lot of things. So, so we, so we have some notes here. Yeah. Read. Yeah. I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw some turns out, and this, these are Reed's notes. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try <laughs> to play and participate here. But I, I'm gonna throw some phrases or words out at you, and just give me like a quick one liner about like these are some positive things that could be driving deconstruction if i understand your notes correctly right um they they could be they they could be positive i mean they could just be or or it's just these are just things that happen to can happen to any of us like it's it, i guess the point of it is these aren't all like it's not a result of a choice that a person has made to like i'm going to go and tear down my faith you know what i mean yeah and i think the reason i'm saying that is like is kind of the opposite because not the opposite but I feel like there's a whole group of people that try to avoid all these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, yeah. I, no, I don't want any of the things that we're about ready to list because, because, <laughs> and to realize that no, like deconstruction is a part of just growing a healthy plant. It's a part of being on a journey. It's a faith has to be dynamic. As, as no matter how hard we clinch our fists and white knuckle this, like, no matter how hard we try to avoid it, a, a dynamic faith is going to be a living, vibrant, moving, growing, developing target, or else it's not really that faith at all. So so here's some things, Reed. How about new information? Give me an example. Yeah. So I remember learning that there were other flood stories um, from other ancient Near Eastern cultures uh, that, you know, in some ways really matched up and in other ways didn't with the Noah flood story. Um, but that I had to take into account then, you know, somehow or another, uh, wrestle with what that meant for the Bible and the way that I read it. I can remember that as well. And I get all those emails as people go through episode four and five. Okay. Now, wait a minute. What about the flood? Yeah. 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 What about cognitive dissonance? Yeah. So, so that's, um, this deeper seated, uh, uneasy feeling. Like I, I remember, you know, um, reading in National Geographic about some Afghan women who like, you know, they, they had their, this is, sorry, this is like a terrible thing to speak about and it's kind of traumatic, but you know, women, um, who get burned by acid, you know, for whatever reason, because they're, they're judged by the men in their culture. And there was a certain, uh, part of me, like from what I had been taught growing up that kind of insisted that they would, God would be sending her to hell anyway, you know? Um, and even if she died as a result of those, of those injuries, uh, and it, it didn't sit right with me because then it felt like God was kind of becoming a partner to the, to the monsters who were doing that to these women. Uh, and, but, but my, my theological system, apart from my real world, like understanding, like, like it sort of, worked well and right up until the point that this real situation was put into it. And then it just didn't make any sense, but I didn't know, you know, a new system for it. I just knew that this wasn't going to fit. And that's what I mean by cognitive dissonance. Oh man. And I feel like there's so many listeners that (laughs) all of a sudden just realized how hard we try to avoid like that space that we just walked into there for about 45 seconds. Right. Yeah. Like, No, wait a minute. Wait, I don't want to, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to no, no, no. I just want to resolve this. Here's my theological answer. Here's my, we have so many listeners that deal with what you're calling cognitive dissonance there. That's, mm-hmm. that's big. For sure. Uh, disillusionment. Yeah. So um, I guess I won't name any names, but somewhat recently there was a major Christian, like globally famous Christian figure, a very influential figure 
who turned out to have uh, just some really dark things in his past uh, that that were that were you know they were just twisted and cruel. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a major influential figure for some of us. It's even like a, a local pastor mm-hmm. or some other person who was a, who we identified as a Christian, but who also, uh, really failed to live up to what we thought they were. Uh, and that disillusionment with like a person, or sometimes it's the church at large. Like we realize that the church is as a whole is capable of just some really terrible things. And so that disillusionment can lead us to question things and, you know, go down a road of, well, maybe the undergirding theology or the belief is what's the problem, you know, because everywhere I look, it seems like Christian people are just failing, you know, at being what a Christian person should be. So that disillusionment, yeah, can lead us to deconstruction. Uh, Excellent. Uh, what about disconnection? Yeah, this is maybe one that we don't think about as much. But for some people, I think, you know, it's not about ideas. Uh, it, it's just that they failed uh, or were failed to have any uh, meaningful relationships like within the church that they, they, they just didn't develop. Um, and maybe they were just left out. They were kind of intentionally or unintentionally left on the margins. And so they didn't develop deep meaningful friendships. And we'll probably get to this a little later talking about the role of community and deconstruction. But I think sometimes a lack of community leads us to, to, to go through a deconstructive process. Yeah, absolutely. And this last one actually is one that really gets me. I, I actually want to do a series here in session six, not to make any promises, but I'd like to do a series on, on this next one. Um, cause it's a big deal. It's, it's actually a really big deal. Uh, and, and, there are still uh, churches. We had a listener write us that uh, the, the word here is trauma uh, read. And uh, I had a listener just text me this last week, and they, they said they heard from a pulpit uh, what young people keep calling trauma I call training. Oh. And, uh, oh, man, <laughs> all kinds of emotions. Yeah. Uh, the emoji I used was the vomit face. Um, but I, there's all kinds of other things, too. But. But t- just give me a word about trauma. We'll, we'll talk more about this by the time we're done. I mean, it, I think it kind of speaks for itself. But some people and this, this is like the very much darker side of w- the disconnection and disillusionment, right? Um, this is like somebody from the church um, or maybe a, a parent who, again, w- someone who on the surface, at least Christianity is key to their identity. They had a position of influence, spiritual influence, uh, and they, uh, you know, some, uh, when a victim becomes a target of someone else's, uh, hatred or, uh, you know, just their malice or whatever, um, uh, you know, that, that can lead to deconstruction. And, you know, the, the point with all of these, uh, is, well, like you said, um, some of us, we try to ignore these experiences when they come, whether it's the cognitive dissonance or the disillusionment or whatever. Uh, and we, we try to just bury our head in the sand and like keep, keep on believing everything we were always told, um, which I want to say can be a good way of surviving. Like that can keep you alive sometimes because it's just too much to try to process. Um, but it's not a great way of growing 
It's not a great way of becoming more fully the humans that God intends for us to be. And so I don't want to be like callous or um, judgmental towards people who have a hard time walking head on into these deconstructive sorts of things. Um, uh, and I want to recognize like all of us, like, of course, these are hard things to face up to. Um, and so I want to be sensitive to that and say, it's okay if that's, if right now you're just trying to stay alive. And so it doesn't do to try to hold together your faith with, you know, whatever this experience, this hard experience was, um, that's okay. But maybe also just say lovingly and gently that, you know, that's, that's not a great way of, you, you have to walk through those difficult experiences and face up to them honestly if you're, if we are going to keep growing as, as people. Yeah, that's absolutely a great point. Um, this next little bit we could spend all day on. And so we're, we're just going to like right. pop through this. But when we talk about this, let's talk about, so what exactly are we deconstructing? We're talking about deconstruction is this right. abstract concept. Yes. But what exactly are you talking about? Read, like, what are the things? Just give me a few options of the things we could be. Yeah. It's what we're talking about. And that's what I think, again, I'm trying to engender like some sympathy between people who are fighting on different sides of deconstruction and maybe just don't assume, but ask the question, uh, what is it? Because you don't, I mean, we use deconstruction often without um, like an object, you know, you're just deconstructing. Sure. Right. But, you know, okay, so are we deconstructing the Bible? Um, and more specifically, probably what we mean is we're deconstructing an interpretation of the Bible. Um, nobody is just deconstructing the Bible as just an object. Uh, well, maybe some people are, but I think a lot of the people that I talk to, uh, uh, maybe they're not aware, but you're deconstructing interpretation. So which, which one? And that, that's got to be okay. Um, or are we deconstructing like a particular theology? Um, cause that's not the same as an interpretation of the Bible. Um, and, or like, are we, are people, do we mean that we're de deconstructing, uh, God, God's self? Like, do we assume that we had God constructed in the first place? And, and maybe <laughs> that's such a good line. That is such a good line. Did we assume that we had God constructed in the first place? Right. <laughs> but, you know, if we're not careful, we think we confuse the Bible with God or we confuse theology with God. Um, and maybe we can be gracious to people and say, OK, you're deconstructing an interpretation of the Bible that is not the same as deconstructing God. Um, or, you know, maybe what's being deconstructed often, I, I talked to a lot of students about this, you're, you're deconstructing, uh, actually experiences. It's not even so much the Bible or a particular theology or doctrine. It's just, well, I had an altar call that I responded to and I got saved, but now I'm not so sure what that actually meant, you know? And so you're deconstructing that experience. And anyway, I just, I think if we ask these questions of one another, what are we de deconstructing and why, instead of just hearing the word deconstructing and running with whatever we think it means, that might help us go a long way and while well, doing what you always say we ought to do, Marty, which is like get everybody to the table. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about um, this this sort of parable, um, if that's okay. It, it's, it's a little bit of an extended section, but do we have time to talk through this a little bit? Of course we do. Absolutely. Let's do it. And I want to disclaim by saying this is not originally my own parable or illustration. 
Um, it's from a friend of mine. Shout out Danny Wesley. Hey, he's actually a listener of your podcast, Marty. Oh, well then he's brilliant. Brilliant. He actually, he actually is very brilliant. Um, but he and I were talking about this. We came out of the same church actually. Uh, and we have each had our quote unquote deconstructive or pruning processes, uh, sort of side by side a little bit. Um, he's much more the technical theology philosophy guy. Um, but he, he presented and I've, I've kind of taken it and I've, I've run with it a little bit and really try to tease out the implications of it. But, but imagine, um, imagine that you're walking through a desert, uh, or maybe you're walking even on an alien planet, like some place that is, uh, foreign and there's, there's not much there. Uh, and someone's walking through there and they come across, uh, a building and this building, if you've ever, um, like seen an MC Escher drawing uh, where, you know what I'm talking about? Where like the staircases. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the illusions. Right. They, they're like an illusion um, or like the two hands that are drawing one another where it's like yeah. this sort of impossible thing, but it actually is existing in front of you on paper. Yep. Um, or like Dr. Seuss buildings, right? If you've ever read Dr. Seuss books and how all of his buildings are like twisty, turny and lopsided. And it's like you, you see this building and basically there's like no way that it could stand up on its own, right? There's no way that it could possibly actually exist, but here it is in front of you. Uh, and so, uh, you or the person wandering decides they want to get a closer look and understand how this building goes together. And so they start building a scaffolding, um, which, you know, a scaffolding is just a rigid square structure. That's like very, um, uniform and it's like a pattern that's repeated, um, and it's really great for getting you up high in the air um, and to places you couldn't normally reach. And so they start constructing a, constructing a scaffolding, uh, and they're so into figuring out this M.C. Escher, Dr. Seuss building that eventually they surround the entire thing with this scaffolding structure. Oh, I like where this is going. Now, fast forward into the future, and you've got another wanderer who comes along, and they're wandering this desert or this alien planet, and they see this building in front of them. Um, but what they see as the building is actually not the M.C. Escher or Dr. Seuss thing. What they see is the scaffolding. And it's this nice, um, nicely proportioned and like you can see it and make sense of how the structure goes together. Right. And it's straight lines and it's 90 degree angles and all of that. Uh, and they they look at that and they think that that is the building itself when actually it's just the scaffolding that's covering up the building behind it. Okay, are you with me? I'm with you. Do you see where I'm going with this? I do. Okay. I like it. So so in our parable, I'm gonna do the 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 Jesus moment. Sorry, I am not Jesus. Um don't mean to communicate that. But you know, every now and again he will explain a parable and say, Now this is this and this is this. Um if we think of uh the Dr. Seuss building as the biblical text, the biblical text as it is, right? Yep. And and for a lot of us who are uh, Westerners like me and who are several thousand years in the future. Uh, we, we, we don't, if we get a glimpse at the biblical text as it is, there are parts of it that just don't quite make a lot of sense in the way that a Dr. Seuss building doesn't make a lot of sense. Like I see that it's a building, but I don't possibly understand how this could hold together because well, you know, it's like in the Bible, well, this part says this and this other part says something else. And those don't seem to actually go together very well, right? Biblical, quote unquote, biblical theology, as opposed to quote unquote, systematic theology, biblical theology can be kind of messy. Um, 
you, 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 well, I think it is. Do you have experience with that, Marty? I mean, is it, it, it's, I know you got a big brain, but certainly it doesn't always fit together in clean lines, right? Yeah. Well, I, I never thought about it in those like particular labels and categories, but I would definitely say that about like uh, ancient Jewish thought has much more paradox, much more double point truth. Right. Like, especially the Escher drawings where you have yeah. staircases that are like going up and down at the same time. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Right. And they would just be like, yes. Yes, versus, exactly. Versus Thomas Aquinas, who's like, no, 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 no. That has to be right. That has to be explained. And so we have our scaffoldings, right, that we've built up over a long period of time. And, and what I want to say, first of all, is scaffolding isn't inherently bad. Uh, our And the scaffolding is like our various doctrines, our various interpretations of the Bible. So like if you've ever read the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, that's a good example of like a scaffolding, right? Or um, biblical literalism, where everything is just kind of taken on the surface is like a kind of scaffolding. Or, you know, various systematic theologies that try to make all of these different towers and whatnot, like, go together uh, in a certain linear, sensible way. That's a kind of scaffolding. Um, and, and also, not just to put it all on the more conservative folks, we need to understand, too, that, like, our more progressive folks – these interpretations are also a kind of scaffolding. Um, so like your Bible is literature ideas, your genre criticism, like the cool liberal ideas of looking at the Bible. Um, people who I really love to read and um, like we've Peter ends is a good example. Somebody who's good at like seeing through those other scaffoldings and seeing where they're kind of getting in the way but also himself is creating a kind of scaffolding. So we need to recognize that, okay? Any of these interpretations, ways of reading the Bible are a kind of scaffolding. And so the question that we should ask is, which scaffolding is helping us get to and study and understand the parts of the Bible that we couldn't otherwise reach, like the tip of the Seuss Tower or the underside of the M.C. Escher staircase, which which scaffolding is helping us get there? Because without that, I mean, just just completely coming to it with a totally neutral position, which I don't even actually think is possible. But that's not that's just going to leave you standing on the ground, like you're not going to be able to see much. Are you with me? Absolutely, and, and I and I love this because we we just it, you're you're pointing us back to the point when all we ever do is sit around and argue about whose scaffolding is the right kind. Right. And which stuff holds up. But the whole point was the building in the first place. Right. It, it, which which one is helping us get there? And then other times, uh, which ones are getting in, in the way? Like which which scaffoldings uh, are being overbuilt and now they're blocking like they're blocking the door and the window um, because because the, the point of everything here is to say that even even the Bible itself uh, and I, I might make some people mad here, but. I'm just just hang with me for a second, okay? The in this illustration, the Bible itself is also a construct. It is a thing that was put together by people, right? Are you with me? I believe so. You, you got that? I believe so. You got to keep finishing your point here, making me nervous. Okay, okay. So 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 the Bible itself is a construct, and the Bible as such, nor what we think about is the thing itself. It's not. That's not the point. Um, I'm being careful here. The, the thing itself, like the point of the construct, the, the Seuss building and the point of the scaffolding, they both are trying to get you somewhere else, which is inside 
the building. Like the thing itself is the life that is lived with God inside it. So the Bible itself is a constructed thing, but what we believe is that it's it's living and active, right? Within it, uh, we experience and live with God. And so that's one thing that does distinguish, you know, the Bible from the scaffoldings around it is the encounters are happening there in the text as we immediately engage with it as individuals and in a community, right? The encounter is there, not in the scaffolding. And unfortunately for a lot of us, me included, I'm pointing at myself, we spend all of our time in the scaffolding, whether it's Pete Enns' scaffolding or John Piper's scaffolding or whoever's scaffolding, we spend all our time uh, reading about the Bible and never actually engaging the scripture itself, um, which is, I don't know, I'm thinking about when Jesus said, uh, and you can correct me here, Marty, if I'm pulling this way out of context and it makes no sense, um, but at various times to like the scribes and the teachers, like he will say something like, um, you, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life and you don't realize that like they are, what does he say? Like they're, they're, they're pointing to me or something like that. Yep. 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 Yeah. Or, or I was just actually reading in the passion narrative the other day where he, he, they, they ask him a question about, you know, wives and the resurrection. And he says, you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And these were people who were not doing the scaffolding. They were like looking at the building itself. Right. Right. But yep. the point is not even to stand outside and analyze that it's to get inside and actually dwell there and live there. Uh, and so what we need are scaffoldings that will help us see the structure and find our way into it and, uh, and engage with the Bible. And this is where like the kind of hermeneutics that you're exploring are really valuable because they kind of help us see where the doors actually are, so to speak. And we can get inside and, and we can live there um, because what matters more than what we understand about uh, I'm saying this carefully, hopefully with, with the disclaimer the, the, of everything I've already said leading up to it. But what, what matters most, I think, is, is not what's understood, not how much we know the architecture and the angles of the towers and all that, but the life that's lived inside it. Ooh, that was a lot. Yeah. No, and I don't think I disagree with any of that. I, what I thought of when you uh, were talking about that is I think it was Robert Farrar Capon in his book mm. talks about a house. Mm-hmm. And he says the point is dwelling inside, mm-hmm. and every mm-hmm. house, in order to get to the door, every house has a porch. Now you can, mm-hmm. and that porch is going to rot out, and you're going to have to replace it. And I'm actually, I'm actually replacing my back deck right now. It's all rotted out, and and right now we can't even use our back door. Like we can't just get rid of <laughs> yeah. the porch. Like we're going to have right. to have some way to yes. access the door. And so the door is really uh, maybe in your metaphor. Now I'm probably screwing up your metaphor. Like the text, it is essential to the life with God. It is the way that we're, we have all these porches and constructs and scaffolding that help us get to the door, but the point is actually on the other side of the door. Now, Jewish thought is going to make it one of those Escher staircases, I think. It's going to say, well, you, you, don't get, you don't get into the dwelling without the door, and yet the point was never the door. So if all you, get, if all you did was stare at the door and love the door and know everything about the construct of the door and open and close the door and stand in the door, you would – like if all we ever know like is about the Bible and we're so good at the Bible, but we never actually know the God mm-hmm. who wrote it to say that poetically – how badly have we missed that? Um, mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not to take away. Everybody knows my emphasis on the text here at this podcast. Right. Absolutely. That's not to take away at all from the fact that, man, pretty much to get inside the house, you use the door. Um, and yet the door was never the point. <laughs> right. Yes. That's, I think that's a great way of saying it. So let's bring this back around to deconstruction for a second. By the way, Brent, for the show notes, Robert for our cape in uh, Kingdom Grace Judgment. I was going to ask about that. Such a good book. Such a good book. Brent's still here, everybody. And also, I, I want to uh, on your door analogy. Let's just let's just beat the dead horse here. Okay. So the door, even if you have opened and closed the door, examined every part of the door, know everything about the door. If your only experience is being outside of the door, it's totally different to be inside mm-hmm. and experience the door. Even if you know what the inside of the door looks like because you opened mm-hmm. it. Oh, Brent mm-hmm. Billings. Not being on the inside and experiencing what it's like to be on the inside of the door. It's a completely different relationship. That was worth bringing your sore throat onto this production to uh, share that. Oh, man. Eat that dead horse. Yeah. Which is which is why like I want to deconstruct with people who are not like too cool for school hipster like pot shotting i can sit back and be like well did you know that in the ancient near east blah 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 um i i don't i'm not really interested in talking to people who only want to stand outside because the the value of like just the the spirit of a person who is living inside even if they're like wow is this is this scaffold like am i tearing something down here does this need to be remodeled or whatever am i am i you know what i mean like i I think it's best engaged with, with people who are sincere, um, with people who are looking to actually live inside and not just like stand outside and, you know, make a blueprint or something like that so they can frame it and hang it on their wall. Mm. Preach, preach. So let's talk then deconstruction, because I think then to bring us back to the, the scaffolding and the Seuss building, there are times where what we're doing when we're deconstructing is essentially we're removing some of that scaffolding that's gotten in the way of it's, it's overgrown and now I can't get inside, you know, or it's a scaffolding that is actually leading, like there was a catwalk that was going towards this tower and then it just went too far and now it's leading me out to nowhere, you know? Um, and so some of that needs to be brought down uh, and and that's okay. But, you know, we have to be careful because, there are places where the text, the Seuss building and the scaffolding, like they can overlap pretty closely, right? Like when, when our scaffolding is built right up close, when we're, when we're right there, you know, and that can be really helpful. But then when we start deconstructing, if we just kind of take a hammer and uh, just start wailing it at everything uh, indiscriminately, because we're just really into this hip new phase of like, you know, questioning everything just for the sake of questioning, then we can actually end up doing more destruction to like the thing itself and our ability to then live a vital life inside of it. You know, it's not just the scaffolding that can get torn down. So, you know, I, I, I've told people this before, sometimes the truth is hard because it's not what you've always been told. Um, but sometimes the truth is hard because it is what you've always been told. Mm, yeah. Uh, and we need to have the humility to recognize where and, and to just be open to that. It could be one or the other. Right. Yeah. So, so we have to be, be wise about how we, we go through that deconstructive process, um, which maybe like, I, I want to go down then to just talking about, cause I, we're probably getting a little long, um, but maybe a way of rounding out this discussion today um, is is talking about the role that community plays um, in our deconstruction process. Um, 
it was Pope, I think it was JP2, uh, who said that friendship, um, mutual friendship is the appropriate context for theological investigation. No, he's, it was this. The appropriate context for theological investigation is love and mutual friendship. Um, so when we do our theological investigating, uh, I think it's so, so important that we are engaging with real people who are real friends, who really know us um, for, for two reasons. Because we need people who will give us the permission to question, right? They They will give us that safe space to... Be like, you know, I really actually don't know about, you know, inerrancy or what I mean by that. Like, I need to be able to say that without being afraid that that person is going yep. to just throw me out, right? Yep. yep. But they also have to have permission from me to be able to challenge and push back and ask questions when that's appropriate. Like, I, I wonder if we run the risk, us progressive deconstructive types, run the risk of making like... I don't know, like, uh, a t- like, uh, I don't know how to say this tolerance or the, like, I'm here for your whatever. Like we make that an absolute value. Like that's the fundamental value that we go by such that like, I need to say this and you have to just kind of accept it and be okay with me being that like, and you don't push back because that's, you know, that's a, that's going to offend me somehow, or that's like going to make me, you know what I mean? Like we need, we need communities who can let us ask the questions and who we also give permission to, to be able to challenge us and push back. Yeah, man. I feel like there's like a million complexities and nuances that are underneath that, which is why it's hard to like figure out how to say it because Mm. yeah, there's like all kinds of layers and and levels to that, but I totally understand what you're saying and totally agree with that. Well, it's, 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 it's like, uh, it's like Jesus, you know, he, somebody has pointed out before that Jesus, um, he comforts the disturbed and he also disturbs the comfortable. Yes. Uh, and so for some of us, like we, we, st- we can start deconstruction in a way that's like, we are the disturbed ones and we need to be comforted. Right. But if we're honest, we can become pretty comfortable in our quote unquote deconstruction, right? We can become pretty comfortable in just like, you know, only tearing things down mode if, if it takes a negative spin and we need somebody to then be able to like upset that, right. And and push us back in a, in a different way. Well, maybe the lesson from this is that there's in order to de I'm like, you're talking about like how to deconstruct well, and then and right. the need for community. And this is, I think what I'm hearing you say is when we're in the middle of deconstruction, this is what we should be seeking out. And you don't do this with people you don't trust, right? You don't do this with, you find those right people that are that community for you and you ask them. I think part of the problem is that we so often, we're doing this like somebody's deconstructing in front of us and we're pushing back. And and that's where the like that's where the dissonance comes from. That's where the lack of respect. That's where the abuse. That's where like all that stuff comes from. Instead of instead of making space for the deconstruction, uh, making it a safe place to ask those questions. And then having that person that is deconstructing being aware enough to say, Okay, now I, I know where you come from. And I see you. So will you talk back to me? I'm asking you to play that role. I'm inviting you. There's this invitation into that community. Yeah. And we usually yeah. assume that as pastors. We assume it as spiritual leaders. We assume it as institutions and faith expressions. Like, how dare you deconstruct? Or or we say, like, oh, it's cool for you to deconstruct. But 
when you're done talking, I'm just going to give you all the things you need to think about. Well, that was never your job in the first place. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of humility on all sides. You know, it takes humility to invite it uh, and it takes humility to accept that mantle as, okay, I'm your dialogue partner here, you know, and I'm going to do that well without without running you over with what I think, you know, and also without just like not speaking up if I feel like there's something that needs to be pushed back on. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's ridiculous, Reed, that you would suggest that everybody needs humility. Uh, that's only for the other group, obviously. Yeah. And and that's why I want to say, um, and, and I'm understanding the irony of saying it on this podcast, but your local communities, your local pastors, um, your friends who are flesh and blood friends, are vital to these conversations. And I know that not everybody has those relationships and I lament that. Like I wish everyone had healthy communities, but there's just, I guess it's like a, a, a slight warning that if the only place we're doing our deconstructing is listening to Bema or on Facebook in whatever Facebook group or TikTok or whatever other social media where you kind of, you can enter into echo chambers too easily, you know, and like we need real life people <laughs> to look us in the eye, to hear us, to accept us, um, to go there with us. If it's going to be, I think the the healthiest experience that it can be. Um, yeah, but I, I know that it takes courage sometimes if, if you've never voiced a thought out loud to another person that you feel might be like incriminating. Oh, well, if I question, you know, literalism or did the garden story really happen? Like, if you've never said that out loud to somebody, you might be terrified that like, well, if I put this out there, now I'm exposed, you know? Um, And so I know it takes courage uh, and it takes discernment, but I I do think it's worth engaging with real people around you um, where, you know, I'm all for online tools, um, but just recognizing that that's not a substitute for the church community that I think God either has given us or wants to give us so that we can go through this together. Uh, I love it. Um, okay, so here's here's where we can here's where we can head. Uh, I'm looking at at our notes in front of me, and Reed didn't cover all the notes. That's surprise at how long winded <laughs> Reed is. He always wants to set the record for the longest episode, and I think he's going to pull it off again here today. But um, there's more. Like there's more, and yeah, and, and I also want to say we actually received an email that I shared with you, Reed, from mm-hmm. a listener mm-hmm. that talked about. Okay, I love the deconstruction. What about the reconstruction? And it would be good to talk about that directly. Like part of me was like, oh, I, I, I thought that's what we were doing. But actually, mm-hmm. we, we never talk about that part yeah. nearly as directly. And they right. actually listed a whole bunch of questions that I think are, are really good. Is it okay to hold faith that's far less detailed and specific than what I was accustomed to? What, what does faith even look like? What does it mean to be a Christian? Once I've deconstructed all these things, I don't even know what that even looks like. I used to know because of all the scaffolding. And then I took it all the scaffolding down. I looked at the Dr. Seuss building and I went, oh, what, what is that? Um, and what does that even mean? So I think there's more conversations to be had here. And I love uh, Reed's voice as the one having them. So don't be surprised if you see more episodes with uh, – don't be surprised if you see Reed Dent and Brent Billings uh, on an episode without me 
Whoa. in the room. That game changer. I know that makes me super nervous. Over. That makes me super nervous. Um, yeah, I think we could do. I think we could do one more. Like we could get a solid one other episode at least on this deconstruction idea. Yeah. Um, and if other people, you know, send in like if they have particular things i mean i'm the last person to make a promise that like we can answer every question but you know this can be an ongoing conversation yeah sure Uh, this is the kind of stuff that reed thrives with and i think the thing that i wanted to communicate is this is the new day um i'm introducing you to a new uh a, a new team an expanding growing developing team um that will one day probably need to be uh pruned and deconstructed so watch yourself ah i welcome it Let's uh, do it. But uh, yeah, but anyway, be, be if you're a listener, uh, don't be surprised. This is where we're headed. We're headed to more voices and Marty not always having to be in the room and being present. So I look forward I look forward to that. I look forward to an episode like that. So that's where we're headed. Uh, we got a couple more episodes uh, next week where we introduce you to a couple new voices that are different than Reed, totally. And that's what I love about them. And oh, yeah. I'm excited to hear what they are going to bring uh, to the team and and we've never all been in the same room together so we have plans we oh, have yeah. plans for a big Man, retreat this is exciting this is exciting yeah, i know this is a whole new thing it's a whole new a whole nother level <laughs> sounds sounds almost biblical i think oh there we go behold i'm making all things new ah. <laughs> we're deconstructing and reconstructing the baymall podcast i guess live before our very eyes i'm just looking forward to, i'm looking forward to the part of this that's biblical where i challenge marty to his face well well yeah we'll get there as long as as long as we'll get there oh wait i guess that makes you paul and me peter I'm, I'm, i don't know about that i don't know about that <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that we got to we got to wrap this up. We got to cut this off before this gets to be our longest episode. So, uh, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. Reed, I'm all about online communities. Dent is not on social media, so good luck there. You can email. Can I? Can I just say my email? Is that a bad idea? You do whatever you want. <laughs> is, is that? You're I, well, a host I'm now. scared. I I don't know what the I I don't know. I relish I know this. This is fantastic. I'm so uncomfortable right now. Um, you can find me, uh, if you go to ccftruman.org, that's my campus ministries website. You can find a way to contact me there. That's what I'll say. Boom. Is that fair? Yep. That's perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Baymont podcast. We will talk to you again soon. so quiet yeah i just turned off my fan oh i should probably go turn off my ac i'll be right back i'm gonna go grab a drink i'll be right back i'm gonna sit right here no one can stop me from doing that